Good morning, Ville Church. Good morning. If I have not had the joy to meet you, my name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here at the Village Church, and we are launching into a three-week study on how to read the Bible. Before we do that, a couple of little details. Number one, I want to give a special welcome to all of you who are here this morning from Village Church East. Can we just give them a round of applause? Hello. It is possible after the service, you're sitting right next to somebody who attends there, so you could even ask somebody, hey, what church do you go to? And they might say Village Church East. Um, I would give a special hello to about 80 of our women, but they're not here. They're on our women's street this weekend, so if you're looking for your friends or somebody, they may not be here. I am super curious to see what dads are going to do with their kids this morning, so keep your eyes out. should be a really fun morning to that end. Uh, Before we get into this message, what I want to do is I want to give you... um, a financial update. So if you're new to Village Church, this is, I think, again, a great opportunity to get to know a little bit about what's going on in our church. And so about five weeks ago, I shared with you guys a financial trend that we had been watching at Village Church. And if you have been a part of Village Church, uh, we try to avoid manipulation at all costs. The way we deal with everything, money included, is We look at what's going on, we share with you candidly positive trends, neutral trends, negative trends, and then we ask you to pray about what God would want you to do in response to that. So we noticed a pretty concerning financial trend throughout 2022. And so I want to show you this first slide. Um, What this slide does is it summarizes Q3 giving trends uh, year by year. And so quarter three would be July August, and September. And so 2019, uh, the average was 19,180 per week. 2020, this was the COVID year, 19,580 per week. And then what we drew your attention to was this really significant jump in 2021 to $28,076 per week. That was huge because the church had been growing significantly and what you enabled us to do with the increased giving was actually to address so many of the needs that were happening right in front of us. Um, Then what we started to watch happen is 2022 took a massive decrease in giving and we did not expect it because for the last decade plus, um, most of our uh, numbers had gone kind of in one direction. Um, in between 2021 and 22, every single, if you would say, metric at Village Church went up. The amount of people attending, new members, baptisms, etc. But we watched our giving go um, conversely in the opposite direction. Here's a, a snapshot of what we actually started to watch happen in 2022, quarter by quarter. In quarter one, we went down to 25,500 per week. In quarter two, it went down even more to 23,342 per week. And then by the time we get to Q3, it went down to 21,710 per week. You can see how that's unsustainable. And that is a shortfall of roughly just under $7,000 per week from budget to need. So what we did is we came to you and we said, here's what's going on. And in the pattern of Moses raising funds for the temple, He told the people the vision, told the people the need, said go pray about it. The people prayed about it, and they responded. And so here's what has happened over the last four Sundays that we have had giving as a response to this sermon. Uh, The Q4, which we're in right now, has gone up over $10,000 per week to $31,810 per week. Praise God. Thank you. Um, I want to just say I love that I do not 
have to even have the impulse to manipulate you. Like, I, I know that. You've seen this. You've seen pastors get up, if you, and it's hard. It's hard to watch. We, we would love to just always talk as family, share the vision, share the needs, hear from you, and in behalf of our elders, I just wanna say this is such a beautiful reminder of what it's like just to be part of a family here at the Village Church. So thank you for that. Um, God is so good, and we believe to the core of our being that God always resources his vision, whether it's people, whether it's gifts, whether it's finances. The Lord has something he wants for Village Church. And so as we look to the future, um, honestly, there is so much happening. Um, I wanna give you a quick update of what happened at our 50th anniversary at our vision dinner. We had just under 300 adults from Village Church at our vision dinner. And one of the things that we identified, which should not be new to anybody who's been around a little bit, is that we are out of parking space. We are about 15 times over out of foyer space, completely out of office space, out of a whole lot of spaces here at Village Church which is a great problem to have, except creating new space costs a ton of money. And so what we did many years ago is we bought this property off of the sisters who own Claire Oaks. Now, I am spatially um, um, broken. So where is, where's Devon right now? Devon is there, okay? So across the street, the sisters own all the property that Claire Oaks is on. And then we bought all of this from them. So um, a while back, we started opening up a dialogue with them, asking them if we could purchase more land just on the other side of Devon. And so we've been in the middle of dialogues with them, nothing new to share. Um, it's a slow-moving process. But what we want to make sure we are doing is, number one, saving as much money as we possibly can. We've had the joy of being debt-free for many, many years. and We've had the absolute privilege to not pay interest to a bank. And so we'd like to keep that as long as possible. So we are saving, saving, saving. And um, whether or not we had a financial shortfall for a season, um, whether or not we have excess, we want to steward this facility and every dollar you give to the glory of God. So we, we work as hard as we can, and we are doubling down as a staff and elders on this to be as frugal as we can possibly be because we're in a season where we know we need to save a lot of money. And so what you might watch over the next couple months or year is our weekly giving might go up to 35000 a week, 40000 a week, 45000 a week. All of that money goes to savings so that we can get ready for this, and we're going to make sure that we can meet the ministry needs on the ground, but for us, more money doesn't mean more spending, it means more saving. And so as you can imagine, that's just phase one of purchasing property, but then there's um, putting parking over there, and then there's a renovation of this whole property and adding a larger foyer space, possibly a new sanctuary. There's a lot that goes on with this kind of stuff, and so we are kind of in a long-term mode of praying, planning saving and stewarding that we think is gonna go over the next few years. We're also trying to be really wise because rumor has it we're in a recession. Nobody knows what's gonna happen financially. And it's one of the reasons why we didn't go before the church to say, hey, we're gonna raise 10 million or 12 million dollars. Like, we, we kinda just wanna let things settle even culturally to see what's happening so that we can be really good stewards with the future. Uh, we really do believe God's gonna resource his vision. And so we're just patiently prayerfully, honestly communicating, telling you what's going on, what we're thinking. If you didn't have the chance to be at the vision dinner and you want to see even just some ideas of what we're looking, looking at in terms of the future building, um, after the second service, sometime after about 1230, you can go to the hub. There's going to be a link to a website and you can see particularly two different visions of what our facilities could look like. 
Um, one is if we're able to purchase some property from the sisters, and the other is if we are not able to. So I want to encourage you after the second service, that'll get put onto the hub, uh, www.vcob.org slash hub. Uh, go there, check that out, and then there'll be a link so you can kind of get more information. The last financial update is about our benevolence fund. And so uh, we came to you, um, I think it was about six weeks ago, because our benevolence fund was, was basically empty. And we use this to serve people inside the church and in the community who have unique one-time financial needs. And so our deacons oversee the benevolence fund. So we came to you and said, hey, would you consider giving above and beyond your regular tithes to this? So what we uh, have seen right now is since the letter, we received $14,459, which is awesome. Current total is $16,666. Way too many sixes, guys. I'm going to be really honest with you. But there are many, many people over the course of, we'll say, 50 years, many in this room who have found themselves in a bind, called our deacons, and asked for help. And so this has been an incredible opportunity um, throughout the year to be able to serve um, you in the church and those in the community who are having financial um, needs. And so this um, account goes up and it goes down, and it goes up and it goes down, and we want to see the account go down because that means we're actually able to enter into people's lives and to serve them. So when this account gets depleted, uh, we'll let you know. There are some people who give on a regular basis above and beyond, and primarily that keeps this account going. But um, thank you for your responsivity to this, your generosity. Um, it is our joy to love people, love our church and our community, wherever they might find themselves. All right, shall we shift gears? How to study the Bible. The Center for Bible Engagement. Uh, they did a study related to Bible reading and Bible listening. And they, disco they discovered something very powerful, and they referred to this as the power of four. So the power of four is in reference to how many days a week a Christian reads or listens to the Bible. And what they found is they measured hundreds of thousands of Christians over a long period of time all around the globe is that it doesn't matter how much you engage the Bible, the Bible will, generally speaking, if you're a true believer with the Holy Spirit, have a positive effect and impact on your life. So like if the only time you engage the Bible is when you come to church, it still is going to have a positive impact on you. And if you read the Bible two days a week and three days a week, it still has a positive impact on you. But there is something statistical and profound that happens the moment somebody shifts from reading the Bible three days a week to four days a week. The difference that Bible reading makes, it's measurable, but by and large, it's not statistically enormous until you get to the power of four. And so if you engage your Bible four times a week, here's just a, here's a brief overview of a long paper that they wrote. Drinking to excess decreases by 62%. Viewing pornography decreases by 59%. Intimacy outside of marriage decreases by 59%. Gambling decreases by 45%. Lashing out in anger decreases by 31%. Gossiping decreases by 28%. Lying decreases by 28%. Neglecting your family decreases by 26%. Overspending or mishandling food decreases by 20%. I wanted the food part to be higher, but okay. Overeating or mishandling money decreases by 20%. Feeling bitter decreases by 40%. Thinking destructively about oneself or others decreases by 32%. Feeling like someone has, uh, has to hide what they do or feel decreases by 32%. 
Having difficulty forgiving others decreases by 31%. Feeling discouraged decreases by 31%. Experiencing loneliness decreases by 30%. Having difficulty forgiving oneself decreases by 26%. Thinking unkindly about others, 18% decrease. Experiencing fear or anxiety, 14% increase. Feeling spiritually stagnant, this decreases by 60%. Feeling like they can't please God decreases by 44%. Can we just say, like, I I would love to have a decrease in every single one of those. And statistically, one of the best, most measurable practices you can put into your life to see this benefit is reading the Bible four times per week. But they didn't just stop there. The Bible also had an even greater significant impact on positive biblical behaviors, If someone reads their Bible four times per week, they are 228% more likely to share the gospel. There's a 200% increase in giving. 407% more likely to memorize scripture. 416% more likely to give financially to their church. Memorizing scripture, 407% more likely to do this. Discipling others, 231% more likely. Sharing their faith, we already said this, 228%. Giving financially to causes other than their church, 218% increase. That's the power of four. And again, all reading less than this is good for your soul. But it's so interesting that when somebody takes the word of God, and they don't just do it kind of haphazardly and randomly, but they put it into the daily discipline of their life, the net result is unbelievable. So over the next three weeks, here's what we want to help you do. We want to help you learn and know how to study the Bible better. So next week, um, we're going to be looking at how not to read the Bible. We're going to look at some of the most common mistakes that people make. I guarantee you there are going to be probably one of those that everyone in this room personally identifies with at some time or another. The, the next week, we're going to talk about not reading the Bible literally. We're going to talk about something even better, how to read the Bible literarily. And we're going to look at what that actually means. So this morning, I want to share with you five best practices for Bible readers. Um, my hope this morning is that whether you are like brand new to the Bible or you've been reading the Bible for years, that the Lord would have something for you in this so that you could engage him through his word. All right, best practice, number one. Know the purpose. Why are you picking up your Bible specifically? Half the time, we have no idea why we're doing what we're doing. For example, you go to the fridge to eat. Why are you eating? Are you hungry? Nope. Are you anxious? Yes. Why did you have that drink? Because you wanted to relax and enjoy God? Or because you're overwhelmed and this is your coping mechanism? When you go to the Bible, like why are you going to the Bible actually? And, and I just want to encourage you because the Bible gives so many honorable motivations for reading it and picking it up. I want to share with you just 10 of them very quick. Um, and so if you're taking notes, good luck. Ready? <laughs> Number one, to survive Spiritually, Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Number two, to revive your soul. You might be depressed and downcast. Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Maybe you just want to grow spiritually. This is a great motivation. 2 Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. 
Some of you, you're like, I just need to know the will of God. This is an admirable motivation. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Uh, some of you, you wanna teach and train others. This is noble and honorable. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scriptures breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Not just the one reading it, but Paul's writing to a pastor saying, use this and teach and train and reprove other people for righteous, righteousness. Uh, maybe you need to test doctrine like the Bereans did in the book of Acts and maybe you're hearing doctrine and you're like, I gotta really figure out if this is good. Acts 17, 11. Now, those Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Maybe you're just hopeless, and you're looking for the Bible to give you some kind of hope. Romans 15, 4 says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Uh, maybe you are struggling with sin and you are hoping that engaging the Bible is gonna help protect you from sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe you sense you're in the middle of a spiritual battle. You are sensing a discerning demonic attack on your life. Ephesians six seventeen says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Maybe you are anxious about the future and you need to know what the Bible says about how all of this ends to understand the future. Revelation 1.1, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. There are a thousand incredible motivations to pick up the Bible. And whatever brings you to the word of God, I am just so glad that you knew enough and had the impulse to open up God's word to resolve whatever is going on inside of you. I wanna, I wanna summarize in a word what all of these motivations are really at the end of the day about. And the word is sync, S-Y-N-K. Now I wanna say something in the front end. I am going to use the word in sync many times. And you, memes will be made about this sermon, I concede. <laughs> So I'm gonna just let you know that I know what you're thinking whenever I say the word in sync. Let me give some synonyms if it makes you feel better. Union with God, togetherness with God, oneness with God. I think one of my other favorites is alignment with God. When you open up the word of God, here's what I want. I want alignment. I wanna be in sync with you. I want your thoughts to be my thoughts. I wanna take all my emotions and submit them to your word of God. I wanna be in sync with you emotionally. I want my life to be the life of Christ. I want my behavior to be in sync with the way Jesus lives his life. Uh, some of the scriptures say you walk in the spirit. Uh, I wanna be aligned. I wanna be together. I wanna be in sync with you. Now, if you're married or dating, et cetera, like, I, I want you to imagine you go out on a date with your husband or your wife or you go on a date with your boyfriend or girlfriend and, and let's just say your sole agenda was I will learn data about you so I can put it in my data reservoir and brag to people about how much I know about you. Is knowledge a good motivation, by the way? Yes. But, it, but really, do you want somebody to sit down with you so that they can learn data about you only so they can brag about it later? No, what you want is relationship. You want togetherness. You want union. You want oneness. You want to be aligned, not just theoretically, but you want to be aligned relationally. And so when you come before God, one of the things I want to encourage you, whatever motivation, whatever thing got you here, let's rise above all of this, I want you to walk away 
from your time in God's word, pursuing to be one, to be in sync, to be aligned in relationship with your God. When I'm in sync with God, I bring God the most amount of glory. When I'm having the thoughts of the mind of Christ, that is when my mind brings God the most amount of glory. When, when my emotions are synced up to his truth and reality, this is when emotionally I bring God the most amount of glory. When my behavior is synced up to the word of God, this is when my life and my behavior bring God the most amount of glory. And, and so if you want your life to bring God as much glory as possible, when you open up your word, look for sync, look for alignment, look for oneness, look for togetherness. And if you, if you can pursue that, like the Lord can do unbelievable things in your mind, your heart, in your, your life. Now I wanna give a, a warning to Christians who know the Bible well. Your past alignment does not guarantee your current alignment. Your past alignment with God does not guarantee your current alignment with God. If I had an incredible first decade of marriage with my wife, that does not necessitate that the second decade is going to be as good. And so when you think about your relationship with God, when you think about syncness, alignment, togetherness, unity, oneness, being on the same page with each other, like any relationship in your life, it is a fire that needs to be stoked. And what I watch happen all too often is that mature, quote-unquote, Christians who know the Bible better than anyone else, who sit in their community group or their small group in their Bible study, and they pull out random texts from the Old Testament that nobody knows, and they say things like, you, you, you know, in Psalm uh, uh, 3, verse 4. No, I, I actually don't. I didn't. Right? You know, you know what I mean? That somehow, whatever happened maybe in the, the fires, the bonfire of their youth, Somehow that they think, because I had that when I was young and I have a repository of information in my brain, I'm good. And I think one of the biggest challenges to those who are mature in Christ is, here's my question, are you in relationship with God? Are you, is your mind in sync with him? Is your heart and his heart, are they in sync with each other? Is your life in sync with him? Are you relationally connected to God? Uh, is your time in God's word about knowledge acquisition so you can give that away primarily? Or, or are you actually going to God's word because you love your God? Or because maybe you're struggling to love God and you're like, God, I'm coming to you anyways. Help me be one. Help me be one with you. One of the most dangerous things about being smart is that when you approach a text, we approach it as if we've already mastered it. And so like one of the habits that I have as a Bible teacher is I will often teach on the same Bible verse or text uh, multiple times. And one of the things I've had to stop doing is I've had to stop going to my old notes. And so what's interesting is when I go to a text, and there's some of them, like the Great Commission, I've taught the Great Commission probably 30 separate times. And what I have to do is put aside all my notes in the past and then what I do is I just, I let that text sit with me and I study it and I, I dig into it. And you know what is so interesting? It doesn't matter how many stinking times I read the same verse, there is always something new in it. There's either something I knew, learn about God, myself, there's something in my heart, there's a conviction in me that like, wow, last time I taught this, I was really, really intense about sharing the gospel. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody in three months. And so even though I had this whole set of notes on this one text, 
Every time I go to it, the Lord and I have different work to do in my mind, my heart, or my life. And every time I go to a text, every time I hear a preacher preach something I have preached on 10 times over, I have to get rid of my arrogance that I have mastered this text. And I have to say, Lord, may your Bible never become something I believe I have mastered. May, may, may you produce in me a humble heart, because even though I might be able to tell you what the different Greek and Hebrew words say in different parts of the Bible, Lord, may I never presume that you and I are in sync, that there is nothing left, that there's no more gold left in a text, as if me and my hubris, I've had the ability to mine, the, to mine it for everything in it, and now we're going to close the mine because there's nothing else to get. May I, never, may I never be so arrogant to think that I have mastered your word or that it has nothing left for me or that you and I don't have more work to do from this text. It requires a humility. So this is a warning to mature Christians. Never underestimate what God might have for you in the same verse you have studied over and over again. All right, best practice, number two. Now this is all gonna go a lot faster. Honor the little A author and the big A author through exegesis. I will never forget the first time I heard the word exegesis. I was 19 years old, and my college pastor was teaching on this subject. And when I heard it, I was like, yes, you finally gave a word for what I wanted when I approached the text. And so here's what exegesis means. It's the process of discovering the original and intended meaning of a passage of scripture. Exa means to pull out. So when I open up the Bible, I want to know what the little a author, the person who wrote this, what were they trying to communicate? But even beyond that, the big a author, the divine author, I want to know what is God trying to do here as well. So, so then my college pastor contrasted this with another word, and that word is eisegesis. And eisegesis is the process of putting your own ideas, agenda, or bias into a text. Isa means into. And so he had this really great illustration that I'll never forget. Uh, he called on a girl named Megan. And uh, Megan, he looked at her and he said, Megan, uh, what does John 3.16 mean to you? And she says, well, to me, John 3.16 means, and then he yelled. He goes, I don't care what it means to you. And everybody in the room goes, whoa, any point made. And he goes, I care what the author meant and what God meant. And he said, I love that you're trying to apply it, and don't get me wrong, but this is eisegesis. The moment you say, here's what it means to me, and then we tend to import things onto a text that the author, the small a author and the big a divine author never intended. And so one of the disciplines of being a good student of God's word is first and foremost, before you get to here's how it applies, or before we even put things onto a text, we are focused on pulling out, exegeting what the little a author and the big a author meant when they put this, which means we have to under things, understand things like context. I know that's crazy, right? I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor with a master's degree in divinity in the Bible, like I have thought I understood a text only to learn the context and then I realized I had it wrong. Like that still happens on a regular basis. Pastor Craig and I, we preach, uh, we co-preach together, we study most weeks together. How many times did this guy and I and Pastor Alex uh, who preaches at Alliance Bible Church and other men were like, wow, we've never seen that before and a little bit of context changes things and it helps us exegete more accurately. 
So how does somebody learn to do this? I'm gonna give you three tips, and there is no humanly possible way for me to train all of you to be the best exegetes in the world. I've been studying and teaching scripture for two plus decades now, and I'm still learning how to do it better. Three things. Number one, watch others. Watch others do it well. One of the most important parts, by the way, of being a recipient of a preacher or a teacher of God's word is that ideally they are exegeting accurately. And by watching sermons of preachers who are faithful to the text, you are passively learning how to do that. And so what I want to make sure we do is that even when I parachute into a text and use it as an illustration, I want to make sure that I am applying it in its context, that the application I'm giving to you is rooted in what the author actually meant. All of this is part of modeling for the church what proper exegesis looks like. And so the first tip is find people who do it well. Find people online that you listen to. If there are Bible studies and Bible teachers in your church, watch them and observe how they handle things. The second tip is this, practice daily. I wanna give you a ton of grace. You're gonna get so many interpretations of scripture wrong, it's gonna be ridiculous. Future you is gonna learn so much about the Bible that today you, future you is gonna be like, yeah, you got that wrong. Practice, 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 practice. The more you practice, the better you're going to get at interpreting and reading and studying God's word. And then finally, number three, ask questions. I think this is one of the most important things. When people come to me after a service and they say, where did you get this in the text? How did you get from here to there? Those are awesome questions. Never lose your curiosity. Now, I want to go deeper into ask questions because what I found is there are three big attitudes that impact people as they approach the Bible. The first attitude is that of arrogance. I already know what this means. Uh, are you going to get much new out of the Bible if you already assume you already know what it means? Probably not. And, and in fact, I would actually say rise above that. Arrogance assumes they know a whole lot more than they do, and it makes the point of Bible reading sheerly knowledge more than anything else. Don't approach the Bible arrogantly. The other is insecurity. This is the opposite end. Uh, this says, I can't figure this out. So what happens with so many people is they kind of give up. And I want to tell them, just don't, don't give up. Do not let insecurity prevent you from approaching God's word. I think there's a better attitude, and it's this, it's curiosity. I wonder what else is here. The, the people who go deepest into God's word, they ask questions out of a heart that is truly curious. They don't presume to have mastered anything. Uh, they want to know, what does that mean? What is the context? And then they go find people or books that can give them the answer. Never be ashamed that you don't know what nobody has ever taught you before. So when you read a book of the Bible and you don't know the context, there is no shame in that. In fact, I'll tell you, there is absolute awesome attitude, behavior, giving God glory. When you understand the limits of your knowledge, this doesn't make sense. I'm missing something here. I'm gonna go talk to my pastor, my Bible teacher. I'm gonna get a commentary. Ask questions and be insanely curious. All right, best practice number three. Choose your tools intentionally. Here's some must-have tools. Number one, a Bible you can actually use. So some of your Bibles are like this big, right? Like, can you really bring that anywhere? I don't know. Get a Bible you can actually use. Get a Bible that is portable. Maybe you need a couple Bibles, one for your study at home. Uh, maybe you put one on your phone. For those of you who hate digital Bibles, maybe you have one you can take with you. 
But here's the most important part. Find a Bible you can use. Find a space to read. If you haven't noticed, like, your context can be profoundly distracting. One of the things that I greatly appreciate about some, um, particularly young moms and dads, is that they get up before their children get up or they establish their Bible reading time during nap time so they can create an actual space where their brain can be present to be with the Lord. And, And I would say this, a place to take notes. So for you to remember what God is doing in your heart, a place for you to even write prayers. For me, what I do is I'm a verbal processor, and so I take out the notes app on my phone. I have about, I think, three or 4,000 notes on that sucker, and I just process what I'm learning into it. I pray nobody ever has to see those because sometimes there's confessions and it's very vulnerable, but that's helpful for me. And I can go back anytime and look at some of the ways that I've processed with God. But for me, if you give me a pen and paper, kill me now. I don't, want to, I, I don't like writing, okay? That's, um, here's some strongly suggested tools. Um, a Bible reading plan. So we have one as a part of Village Church. If you go to the hub, you can see that. And so we regularly, monthly update that for you so that you can engage in a Bible reading plan. For some people, that kind of structure, it's gonna be really helpful for you. Uh, there are Bible reading acronyms. And so they're basically um, simple like procedures, if you will, particularly if you're newer to the Bible, um, that allow you to help you like actually know what to do. Okay, first, I'm going to pray. Uh, second, I'm going to read. Third, I'm going to apply. So there are just different acronyms that you can use that can remind you of the process you walk into when you're reading the Bible. Um, if that's something that would help you, come talk to one of the pastors and we can help find a paradigm of Bible reading that helps you. Uh, strongly recommended as a study Bible. In fact, I'm gonna, I, I was tempted to put this in the must-have tool, but I'm gonna put this in the strongly recommend tool. A really good study Bible. Every time you open a study Bible at the beginning of a book, it tells you the date it was written, the author, the audience, the context, all of that. But also, throughout every chapter, almost every verse is going to have an explanation. It'll give you some historical context, some cultural context. My favorite study Bible is the ESV study Bible. Um, It is an app form. You can get it in hardback. You can get it anywhere. It's cheap. It is so excellently and well done. And we preach from the ESV, English Standard Version, here. So it keeps me in sync. Um, We have found this to be probably one of the most helpful study Bibles. Uh, here's another strongly suggested tool. Uh, a pastor, although I prefer not to be a tool, or well-studied <laughs> Christian to ask questions. I'll just I'll say this. Uh, my pastors, to this day, are, the, are, are one of the greatest resources that I have. Um, I enjoy talking to my pastors more than I enjoy reading and talking to people I don't even know. And I never cease to be amazed at how helpful pastors, and well-studied Christians are. And then another strongly suggested tool is a small group to study with. Uh, A group of people to study the Bible with. This is incredibly powerful. will actually change your life. Uh, I want to share with you a handful of great resources. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing. It's called the internet. And there is an unbelievable amount of really helpful resources. Um, Some of the best articles I've ever read have been written by pastors and theologians. Many people don't know where to start. Talk to your pastor. Tell them a subject you want to learn about. And let them direct you to some resources that are doctrinally sound and can be really, really helpful. Uh, I'm going to show you this book. Um, 
multiple people at Village Church have been either given this book by me or read it. It's called Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. There are a thousand systematic theologies. This guy's is hands down the best, most accessible, easiest to read. I've worked with two men particularly who came to Christ by reading this book. Do not get lost by the size, okay? This is a reference book. And let me tell you what a systematic theology does. I think Wayne Grudem has sold, I think, almost a million copies of that to date to show you how many Christians have used this. What it does is it takes a topic, pick any topic, angels, demons, believers, salvation, the end times, uh, doesn't matter, baptism, communion. What it does is it pulls together all the relevant scriptures on that topic. Then what it does is it gives you the different major interpretations throughout church history of that topic. And then what they do is they kind of defend a position of their own And what they do is they help you get your brain around any given topic in the Bible in one chapter. And let me tell you, there's a chapter on almost anything you could want. And if there's like a random word, you're like, I wonder if it says anything on this word. You go to the end, and there's this huge index of words, and it tells you every single page where that word is used in the book. Or there's an index of scriptures at the end of the book where, oh, I wonder if, if Romans chapter 7 verse 1 is mentioned anywhere in this book and relevant to any other subject in the Bible, and it will tell you every single page here and every subject that Romans chapter 7 verse 1 or any verse of the Bible is mentioned. It is incredibly helpful uh, tool and resource to take a subject and get your brain around the breadth of what is in that subject. I picked this book up when I was 19, 20 years old at Michigan State University, um, and I began reading it throughout the entire year, and it was life-changing. Do I agree with everything Wayne Grudem says? Nope, but he's fair. And when he represents other people's opinions, he's fair to them. That, to me, when somebody fairly represents a different view, that's helpful for me. So I'd encourage you to pick up something like that. Um, Gotquestions.org. I don't get paid by any of these people, although I should. They have hundreds of thousands of answers to questions, and I have found this resource to be so profoundly helpful and sound. I could not encourage more a website to get biblical, straight answers to every question you can imagine. My favorite is villagechurchdigital.org, by the way, um, where we have over a thousand episodes of questions, and this is from your own spiritual leaders here in your community to help you go deeper. Uh, If you do not know the right podcast to access, let us help you. Um, And then YouTube is this endless repository of complete garbage and wonderful content, Um, and so we would love to help you there as well. Number four, Be gracious with yourself and with others. Everything great is challenging at first. The best things in life are really, really hard work. And learning how to read and study the Bible well, it can actually, and often is, hard work at times. And when you put hard work in at the beginning, it gets easier, right? For sure. And your knowledge grows, your understanding goes deeper, but the best things in life are hard work. So are you gonna make mistakes? You better believe it. Will others? Absolutely. Will you get some things wrong? Yep, so will others. Are you gonna struggle to understand so many things? Absolutely, and so are people around you. Are are some of your friends gonna get it faster than you? Yep, and are some gonna get it slower than you? Yep, is that okay? 100%. Some of you, you learn by debating. Raise your hand if you learn by debating. Raise your hand if you hate debating, right? 
some of you love to just throw down and go back and forth. And some of you are like, for the love of God, leave me alone. Why are you so aggressive with me? Your identity is not in your idea. Yes, it is. Okay, fine. Stop beating yourself and other people up. So I've, I've never seen anything good come out of self, self-abuse. Oh, I'm never going to get it. Like, it, it's not really helpful. So let me just give you two tips. Number one, if you're struggling, you can't get into it, you're not understanding it, find what we call a gateway topic. A gateway topic is a controversial or emotional subject that you are immediately interested in. And this is where a book like Systematic Theology can come in handy. Find something that really gets your blood boiling and start studying that because there's nothing like a subject you're emotionally invested in for you to get interested in. Find a gateway topic. My freshman year of college, it was speaking in tongues. I was around a whole bunch of charismatics. I didn't understand it. And it was so interesting to me. And this one subject was a gateway subject that I spent a good six months studying. And by the end of it, I learned so much about so many other things just by studying this one singular subject. The second tip I would give you if you're struggling with motivation and if you're really not being gracious with yourself or others is get into a small group Bible study. One of the best things you can do is study the Bible with others. If you are struggling, they hold you accountable. There are readings you have to do either every day or every week, and and there's nothing like studying the Bible with the people of God. Best practice number five, be resolved to obedience. I want to read Psalm 119. Verse two says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. And verse four says this, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. What is the point of reading the Bible if you are not resolved to obey whatever it is the word of God says and the Holy Spirit prompts in your heart. Knowledge without obedience, it's sin. To know the right thing to do, the right next step to take, and to not do it is sin. Spiritual intimacy without obedience, it will always elude you. Spiritual maturity without obedience is a facade. Obedience is this one singular thing. It is the primary difference between those who grow spiritually at unbelievable rates and those who don't. I'll just call it what it is. The person who reads the Bible two times a week and obeys it will grow exponentially quicker than the person who reads the Bible every day and does not obey God's word. What most people don't understand is the reason that we're growing so slowly is because we know the right thing to do it, but we don't feel like doing it, and so we don't. Do you want a recipe for spiritual stagnancy, not feeling God, not being excited about being in God's word? Refuse to obey the things that God says to do in his word. So even right now, I'm just gonna, I am confident as I say that, the majority of us in this room have one thing that the Holy Spirit is just putting onto the tip of our brain. It's the one secret we have. It's the one next step that we have been dreading to take. It's the one conversation we don't want to have. And if you know the right next step to do it, 
and you refuse to obey God in that, do not expect excitement or intimacy. Whatever that next step is, I'm telling you, obedience to the word of God and the spirit of God is the key that unlocks accelerated spiritual growth. Amen? All right. Now, there's some questions that you guys might have. I put down seven. I had initially 35, but I boiled it down to seven. <laughs> so where should I start if I'm newer to the Bible? The New Testament. Start with a gospel and a letter. For example, the gospel of John and the letter of, of Ephesians. Great place. Read a chapter and each both per day. And there's only six chapters in Ephesians, and so read it again and again and again until you're done with the book of John. Then move maybe to a different gospel and to a different letter, maybe Galatians or Colossians or Philippians. Find a gospel and find a letter and just start reading. How do I know if I'm interpreting the Bible correctly? Well, read a study Bible. Ask somebody that you trust and talk about it with your friends. If you will do those three things, you will quickly learn the interpretations and applications that are not consistent with the author. You'll learn where you're not exegeting, but where you're eisegeting. How, how long will it take for the Bible to change me? Well, number one, let's be clear, it's not the Bible that changes you, it's God. But number two, it'll probably take as long as you're willing to obey. And so what most people, they function like this, they, they have this idea that somehow um, my desires have to precede my decisions. I can't do it unless I want to. But the people who experience the most amount of change in their life and their relationship with God are the ones who do before they desire. The ones who actually do the right thing despite what they feel. I'm telling you, the vast amount of people don't read the Bible because they don't want to. But what mature people begin to do is they say, it doesn't matter what I want, it doesn't matter what my emotions say, I'm gonna do the right thing, and here's what we learn, that decisions create desires. The only way for you to desire the word of God is just decide to read the word of God. Let me just say it again, decisions, they create desires. So as soon as you begin to decide to obey God, expect that in time, that's when your desires will change. Most people are like, God, change my desire. Give me a desire to read the Bible. And God, I think, would look at you and say, start reading the Bible, and then I'll give you desire for it. Why don't I feel anything when I read the Bible? Um, if you've been, like, married for a while, you know when you look at young couples and it's like pure infatuation? You look at kids and all they want is this, like, immediate high, that look when you see them and your heart skips a beat? and then you realize that like is really a weak foundation for anything that's gonna last, you know what I'm saying? And you realize there's actually something better than infatuation, it's commitment, it, it's, it's the look that you give somebody that you know, come hell or high water, you are stuck with each other forever and you are committed to each other from the soul of your being and there is a peace and security, you know that thing, right? Most people approach the Bible like infatuation. Oh, I want that feeling, I want that feeling. And, and sometimes it feels good, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's exciting, it, every time it's different, I don't know. Get past infatuation. And what you wanna build with the Lord is loyalty and commitment. And I'm telling you that is way better than seeking the high of reading the Bible every time. Expect that every time you read the Bible, you're not gonna feel something the majority of the time. 
But what's going to happen over time is you commit to the word of God and you commit to getting to know God and being in sync with him, emotions will flow. What version of the Bible should I read? Uh, my encouragement to most people is read the version of the Bible that your pastor preaches from. And if you can't understand that version of the Bible, find one that you can understand. Um, in a week or two, we're going to look at Bible versions and go a little deeper into that. When is the right time to read the Bible? If you ask morning people, they're going to say, Jesus wrote, read the Bible and prayed in the morning, so we should. Uh, I think that's more descriptive than prescriptive. So um, what works? I hate the mornings. I'm a night owl. I would much rather read the word of God before I go to bed than when I wake up. I'm useless for about 90 minutes. Anyone else? And so like, I want to give God my best. And so before I go to bed or during the day, I have these moments where I do this. How do Bible teachers at church know so much about the Bible? Has ever wondered that? They commit to reading God's word daily. They engage sermons on a weekly or even sometimes daily basis. They talk about what they're learning constantly. And they give away what they're getting. I want to read you Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell. It needs to come alive inside of you. Listen to what Paul says, and he's not talking to a pastor when he says this. He's talking to the church. Teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The people who learn the most about God's word give away what they're getting. They, they learn with their friends or their children or their spouse. They learn with their small group to actually process out loud what God's doing in their life, what they've learned from his word. And, and what you'll find is that people who know the Bible really well have studied it. They've created disciplines. They're listening to other people. They're actually curious about some of these things. They talk about it, and they give away what they've gotten. Start with this. Every day, find one thing to share about, with somebody what you learned about God that day. It could be your heart, your relationship with God, your mind. One way that God is trying to sync you up with him or align you with him, your life will begin to change as you talk about God's word. I've learned two things from watching Harry Potter fans and sports fans. Even the simplest of people, and I mean like didn't get good grades, they don't like deep things, just tell me what to do and I'm gonna do it, just like the, don't like to learn, hate learning, they're just like, hate it. Holy moly. They can take multi-volume books, Harry Potter, and tell you the most ridiculous nuance on page 295 from volume four, and I'm telling you, and if you get one thing wrong, actually, right, or you get like sports fans and their unbelievable knowledge of five plus decades of sports statistics and putting it together and being like, oh, based on all the trajectories, I'm pretty sure that Matt Ryan is going to have this kind of game this week. And I'm like, you're telling me you can't read a narrative in the Bible? Oh, no, I don't buy that at all. What I, what I have learned from sports and Harry Potter is that anybody is capable of taking multi-volume complex novels putting it together, understanding it, and applying it. And so I think for some of us, we have to get rid of some of the excuses and the insecurities or even the arrogance, and we have to approach the word of God with humbling and say, God, help me. Pastor, friend, help me. Small group, help me. This is worth it. All right, so to close, what I want to do is I want to share with you, um, honestly, just my own journey of growing in God's word, but what I have learned is that it's not just my journey, it's actually most people I know. 
And so I'm gonna walk through this briefly and then uh, we're gonna celebrate communion together. My Bible milestones always, of course, and this is everybody, by the way, it starts when you believe in Jesus. Because when you believe in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. And, and, and maybe, I'm just gonna surmise, maybe you read the Bible and you don't understand it because you haven't trusted in Christ yet. The Holy Spirit is your teacher, your guide, your helper. You need him and you only get him when you trust in Jesus. But I'll never forget, I was uh, about seven years old and my mom started doing a Bible study with me and Mrs. Schwartz and her daughter, Liz. And the four of us started to do Bible studies. And this was so formational for me. And what I've learned is that most people just need to get into a small group. You might not know anything, but this can be, and I found for most people, is really one of those catalysts that will launch you in your understanding of the Bible. Uh, the third kind of like uh, wave of this was somebody challenging my beliefs. I had the opportunity to go to Catholic school for 12 years, all boys Catholic high school. I was taught by priests and uh, um, the Bible was teaching different things about salvation than the priests were. And so I had to deal with some of these challenges. And I think most people, what you find is someone's gonna challenge your faith. In fact, we're doing a five-week series after this on the five biggest challenges culturally to Christianity. Uh, why does God kill people in the Old Testament? Is God oppressive to women? The list goes on and on. We're going to talk about these things because they're real, but you have to wrestle with these. And sometimes you go deeper in God's word when someone challenges you in the foundations of your faith, and that's really good. Uh, but there does come a point in every believer's life where they realize that they're a complete hypocrite. They knew what God's word says, and now it's time for them to obey. For me, it was about my junior, senior year of high school. I realized that I was not obeying God's word, and I made a commitment to the best of my ability to obey God's word, and my spiritual life accelerated from that point on. That, for me, was the linchpin, trusting in Christ and obedience. And then my freshman year at Michigan State, I started reading um, the Bible every day. My youth pastor uh, was the one who told me to obey God's word. He started calling out sin. He's also the same one uh, who told me, read God's word daily, gave me a, Bible, a, a, a study Bible to read, and challenged me personally on that. Well, after I was doing daily Bible study, the next kind of evolution was I was asked to lead a small group. And I was asked to lead a small group of high schoolers who knew nothing about the Bible. So whatever I did know, I knew more than them. But when I took spiritual responsibility for somebody, it changed me. And I find this to be another linchpin in our relationship with God through his word. When you now have to have oversight of someone and then lead them through God's word, it actually makes you go deeper into God's word. I then found myself in a position where I was asked to teach God's word. And it's one thing to lead a small group into kind of in a discussion-based format, process to the word of God, go deeper. It's another thing to stand up in front of a people in monologue fashion and present the word of God. It is a totally different headspace. And it makes you have to go deeper and deeper into the word of God. My sophomore year of college, I started studying theology. That's when I picked up Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And this was another just launching point when I started to put together some of the big themes in scripture from Old Testament to New Testament. I started to find Bible teachers that were really helpful for me. So I remember the first time I heard um, John Piper preach, I was enamored. And then I found R.C. Sproul, and then I found Matt Chandler, and, and I was younger in the faith at the time. And, and so, but it's interesting, is I actually barely listen to those guys anymore. Uh, the guys who were most formative for me at the beginning, um, they kind of played their role in my life. And it's interesting, because now the most formative people in my life are my pastors, uh, they're the pastors in my life that we study the Bible with together, and, and there are elders who speak into to my life. 
And then, and then finally, I started to take classes. Uh, I love this time in, in, in this world because we can actually take Bible classes online. Isn't that amazing? And what I found in all these is that God used this kind of progression to transform my life. So what's your next step, though? Um, you look at kind of this list. Is there like a next step that the Lord might have for you personally? Is there like a next step where you need to grow in your relationship with God and his word? I want to encourage you, whatever the Holy Spirit presses in your heart, do that. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your time together. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for revealing your mind and your heart to us. Thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you just for being so wonderful. We love you. I pray, God, that you would help each of us take the next step so that we could be in sync with you, that we might have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, and the life of Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen, Bill Church? Amen.